Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. It should be a few weeks. Hebrews, chapter 9. We're going to look at Jesus Christ, our supreme sacrifice, and the, the need for Christ's sacrificial death. This is the emphasis from verses 15 to verse 28 of Hebrews chapter 9. God has made it clear that Christ's death on the cross has instituted a better and an eternal new covenant as it's referred to here in chapter 8, chapter 9 which is superior to any animal offering and that's the emphasis of verses 11 to 14 and the absolute necessity, the need for Christ's sacrificial death. We will study why. Why was it so essential for Christ to die? Let's read verse 15 and then we will pray. Hebrews 9 Verse 15 reads, And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Let's bow for prayer. Oh God, we're so grateful for the opportunity to study your precious word and truly the just shall live by faith. So Lord God, I pray that you would increase our faith as we study your precious word. Help us to value your death on our behalf as never before. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, Amen. The death of Christ, or what we refer to as the vicarious death of Christ, that is, he died on the behalf of another. The sacrificial, uh, vicarious death of Christ is of great value to you and I that know Jesus Christ as Saviour. And God spells this out within this chapter. In verse 15 we are given a summary of the chief benefits under that will as believers. And there are two principles that are stressed within verse 15 that are given to you and I as believers, the benefactors, I guess you could say, of his will. There is first and foremost here in verse 15 the full cancellation of sin. The full cancellation of sin. The need for Christ's death on our behalf is absolutely critical because it's within his death you and I can experience Complete and full forgiveness. Note then verse 15, it reads, for 
the redemption of our transgressions. The debt of sin has been removed, dealt with by Christ in and through his death. That weight no longer is present on the life of the child of God. We are no longer in debt to sin. We are no longer spiritually bankrupt. For Jesus Christ has paid in full that which we owed, which was death. In John 8.36, the Bible teaches us, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. So we are forgiven. There is the full cancellation of our sin. That's why the death of Christ is so important, that Christ died and we, as Bible-believing Christians, not that we don't value Christmas, the coming of the Saviour, but really at the heart of biblical Christianity is Easter, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. And you will note that family and friends are pretty um, open and would even be prepared to say, Merry Christmas, Happy Christmas. But when you try to emphasise what Easter's all about, they go into hiding. Because Easter is at the heart of what it means to be a Bible-believing Christian and to know forgiveness in the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. But also note that in verse 15, there is not only the full cancellation of our sin, there is the full confirmation of a wealthy inheritance. Not only the full cancellation of our sin, but the full confirmation of a wealthy inheritance. Note at the end of verse 15 it reads, might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. The full extent of our inheritance is spelled out within the Scriptures with countless promises available for the child of God. And the Bible teaches us in Romans 8 verses 16 to 18 that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So here in verse 15, God gives us, and as he addresses these Hebrew believers, a summary of why the death of Christ is superior and why it is absolutely at the heart and core of biblical Christianity. Not only is there full cancellation of our sin, but there is full confirmation of our wealthy inheritance. So with that introduction, within the remainder of this chapter, God wants us to focus upon the Lord Jesus and how he has provided for us redemption and also an inheritance in and through his substitutionary death. So because Jesus Christ has died, then his will is in force. That is eternal life and all that comes with it, 
That's the essence of verse 16 and 17. If there is a will made, the execution of that will does not take effect. In other words, that will cannot be executed before the death of the testator. See? That's why funerals are well attended. Yeah. Read my lips. Family members you haven't seen for ages turn up at the funeral. Yeah. Note verse 16 and 17. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. You've heard the term last, will and testament. Verse 17, for a testament is a force after men are dead. The will kicks in. The will can be executed after the individual has died. Otherwise, it is, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So what God is simply saying here is that since Jesus Christ has died, his will is in force. That is, because he has died, there is the full consola- uh, cancellation of sin and there is the full confirmation of a wealthy inheritance. And then from verses 18 to 22, God goes back to the Old Testament and he looks at Christ's death in light of what Moses did, how Moses consecrated the Old Covenant under which the Hebrews had been reared and raised and what they understood with all of the blood sacrifices. And God has signed off his agreement with blood. He has brought it to a climax with his precious blood, with his death. And therefore his will can be executed. And therefore because of his death we can enjoy complete and full forgiveness. And we can enjoy a rich inheritance. Let's read verses 18 to 22. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. So in other words God is saying there's always been blood shed. There has to be. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. So God goes back into the Old Testament economy and just spells out once again, hey, there's always been the need for bloodshed. Time and time again, within all of the rituals and the ceremonies that God's people carried out under the Old Covenant, there was blood, there was blood there was bloodshed. 
But yet the bloodshed could not provide forgiveness because the eternal Son of God was yet to shed His blood. So the need for the death of the one that wills is declared and demonstrated here in verses 16 and 17. And then the Old Testament rituals carried out by Moses, they're intended to teach the Hebrew believers that their covenant was based upon the shedding and application of blood. Death was the only means of life. But all of these Old Testament rituals only foreshadowed the greater and complete solution for sin which is found in Jesus Christ. So at the heart of the Gospel is the death of Jesus Christ. He had to die literally, he had to die physically in order that his will for man which was to redeem and offer inheritance could be executed. And that is the essence of verses 16 and 17. So let's now note our inheritance from verses 23 to 28. He spells out that inheritance that is a byproduct of our greatest inheritance, which is forgiveness. Forgiveness. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It is one thing to have a will in our favour. It is certainly another for us to receive the benefits of the will. So these verses here, from verses 23 to 28, will show how in show how our inheritance is now being executed on our behalf. And all of this is because Jesus Christ died, was buried and rose again. He lives, he reigns in the power of an endless life in his resurrection. Let's note three appearances within these verses. There are three appearances of our Lord Jesus Christ that give confirmation concerning our forgiveness and give confirmation concerning our eternal inheritance. The first appearance is what we refer to here in verses 23 and 24 is his present appearing in heaven to deal with sin's power. Look at verses 23 and 24. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Look at verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, that is the worldly sanctuary, the tabernacle, the temple, which are a figure or a foreshadow of the true, of the real, of the permanent, but into heaven itself, 
now to appear in the presence of God for us. So this first appearance that the author of the Hebrews spells out that affirms our forgiveness, affirms our eternal inheritance is his blessed appearing in heaven to deal with sin's power. Here in verses 23 and 24, the author spells out that the Old Testament tabernacle was a type, a model of ceremonial cleansing. On the Day of Atonement, every year the high priest went into the Holy of the Holies with a basin of blood sprinkled then he would sprinkle that on the mercy seat. And here in verse 24, the Lord Jesus has now entered into the reality of what the tabernacle could only foreshadow. He has gone into the real holies of holies, heaven, into the very presence of God. And he has taken with him better sacrifices. Note that phrase there in verse 23. Better sacrifices. Now what does that mean? What it simply means is that all of the Old Testament sacrifices and offerings converged on Him. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, He died for sin past, present and future. Therefore His sacrifice is here stated in the plural. He has gone into God the Father's presence on the behalf of the people just as the high priest did in days of old. And this is our Lord's present appearing. So while the high priest could not stay, our Lord Jesus appears and remains in order to serve you and I as our great high priest. He has dealt with the power of sin once and for all. There in Romans 5.11 The Bible teaches us that through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the and final atonement. So our inheritance is the fact that based upon the fact that Jesus Christ is presently in the presence of God the Father and God the Father has received with thanksgiving the shedding of His blood and the power of sin has been broken. That is part of our inheritance. We are to thank God that we not only have forgiveness but the power of sin has been broken. Note then Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. verses 13 and 14. Oh, I wish the good Lord would allow me to preach through the book of Romans again. (laughs) But not today. Verses 13 and 14, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of, of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And note verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under God's grace. We are saved by God's grace. And therefore that sin, the power of sin, 
has been broken. That is part of our inheritance, beloved. Not only is there forgiveness, but part of our inheritance is the fact that in His present appearing in heaven, He dealt with sin's power. If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. So you and I as a child of God can live in victory. You can yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. It's your choice. Because the power of sin has been broken, sin is no longer your master. For a Christian to say, oh, but pastor, I can't give up smoking, that's nonsense. If you're really a child of God, you will give up smoking. Because you'll choose to yield to righteousness. It's as simple as that. And if you really can't give up smoking, then you need to get born again. You need to get saved. You need to really repent of your sin and receive Jesus Christ as your Saviour because part of our inheritance is that Christ has given and provided for you and I victory. He has broken the bondage of sin. It doesn't mean that we'll live perfect lives. But it does mean that we can live in victory. So for a person to say, well, Pastor, I can't give up cigarettes. No, you won't give up cigarettes. That's your problem. I can't give up alcohol. You won't give up alcohol. I can't give up gambling. I can't give up pornography. You won't because you need to get saved. That's probably the issue. Or you just need to say, Lord, I'm going to give it up. And I'm going to claim your word that which teaches me that I have an inheritance. And that inheritance is that sin shall no longer have dominion over me. Sin is no longer my king. He's a stranger to me. I have a new king. His name is Jesus Christ. And therefore I will yield my life unto Christ and unto righteousness and therefore I will walk in victory. The inheritance purchased through His present appearing in heaven to deal with sin's power. That is the essence of verses 23 and 24 of the book of Hebrews. Turn back to the book of Hebrews with me. And note secondly, in verses 25 all the way through to the first part of verse 28, not only do I have a rich inheritance in that sin's power has been broken, but it's interesting here that from verses 25 to 28, that God comes back to the same truth with persistency. Repetition, repetition, repetition. How to have a happy marriage? Communication, communication, communication. How to raise children? Consistency, consistency, consistency. How to learn? Repetition, repetition, repetition. And we see here from verses 25, he's past appearing on earth to deal with man's, with, the, with sin's penalty once and for all. God comes back to the same truth with persistency. He stresses the point from every possible angle. Look at this, verse 25. For yet that he should offer himself often 
as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. Doesn't make sense. But now, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. And then note the first part of verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. So God wants these Hebrew believers to value what they have in Christ. And God wants you and I as Bible-believing Christians to value what we have in Jesus Christ. And what he has provided is, so, is superior in every way. God spares no time to labour this point by pointing out to believers that everything goes back to Calvary. pointing people to Mount Calvary and the efficiency of Christ's sacrifice. See, God gave two New Testament ordinances. The ordinance of baptism, biblical baptism by immersion. That pictures what? The Gospel. Death, burial, resurrection. And then God gave the New Testament church another ordinance, the communion table. This bread represents my broken body. This fruit of the vine represents my shed blood. And the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, do so in remembrance of me, for it's oft. So we are called upon time and time again as believers to not to look back on our sin, forgetting those things that are behind, but always looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And part of that is looking back at what Christ has done for us. His past appearing on earth to deal with sins penalty, His presence appearing in heaven to settle once and for all the issue of sin's power. But here in verses 25 to 28, he's past appearing on earth. Some 2,000 years ago, he, he dealt with sin's penalty once and for all. This is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood that is shed for you. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, the Bible teaches us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the Day of Atonement is in view once again within these verses. But bear in mind that countless offerings were demanded and made under that law. There were five basic offerings that were made. Countless Jews were obligated to make these many, many offerings. But God stresses that even through these sacrifices, even though they were made continually, verses 25 and 26, 
They failed to depict the most important aspect of Christ's death. And that is what? That Christ died once and for all for man's sin. And that's why verse 28 begins by spelling out, So, let's draw a conclusion here, So, Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. So the emphasis here is on the once for all. Jesus Christ died and dealt with sin's penalty. And in dealing with sin's penalty, he has dealt with sin's power over the life of the believer. And that's part of our rich inheritance. Note the phrase, for many, in verse 28. For many. Who are the many? We'll go to John chapter 1. Let's allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. Who are the many? Is this an exclusive number that God chooses to pick to get saved and chooses to damn the rest to hellfire? Of course not. That's nonsense. Who are the many? Well, here in John 1.12, the Bible reads, For as, let's say it together, as many, as what? As received Him. To them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. So the many are as many as have received Him. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Is that just a select few? No, but as many as received Him. To them gave He power to become the sons of God. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And my friend, this evening I plead with you to receive the Christ. You might be one that you would have to admit that you constantly struggle with sin. Could it be that you still need to be born again? Or you need to allow God to execute His will in your life by faith that He is presently in the presence of God the Father, affirming the fact that sin's power has been broken. And His past appearance some 2,000 years ago to deal with sin's penalty once and for all is so critically important for you and I as Bible-believing Christians. So Jesus Christ didn't faint on the cross. There are some people that would want you to believe that Christ just fainted, he didn't die. Some would say, well, he did die, but it was a martyr's death. He just, it was a martyr's death. It was proving a point. No, 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 Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That's what provides forgiveness. And he died once. He died once and for all. And in verse 28, stay with me, God concludes with hope for those that have received Jesus Christ as their Saviour. His promised appearing. So he's present appearing before God the Father to 
deal with sin and give us power over sin. He's past appearing and that he dealt with the penalty of sin, the power of sin, the penalty of sin. But note here the second part of verse 28, he's promised appearing to take his people away forever from sin's presence. Verse 28 goes on to read, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So in verse 27 the Bible teaches us it is appointed unto men once to die. All of us have an appointment with Dr. Death. It's as simple as that. All of us have an appointment with Dr. Death. Stop worrying about it, but be prepared for it. For Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And he that has the Son has life. So you can be prepared for that appointment. For the Bible teaches us it's appointed unto men once to die. The Bible does not teach reincarnation. That is what we call theologically gobbledygook. Gobbledygook. With a capital G. For the Bible teaches us it's a point and the man wants to die, then accountability, then judgment. But Christ has taken that judgment. He died, was buried and rose again. And we that know Christ have the promise of His appearing that possibly one day during our lifetime, lest Dr. Death gets us first in the will of God, Christ will appear and we shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with Him. And we will be delivered from sin's presence. We know we have victory over sin's penalty. We have forgiveness in Christ and we know we can live in victory because God has broken sin's power. But praise God, one day, there is coming a day of which you and I as as the children of God will be delivered from sin's presence. God will pour out His righteous indignation upon the world. The Bible calls this the tribulation period. Chapter 6 to chapters 19 of the book of Revelation. I'm not going to be here because my Bible tells me in 1 Thessalonians 5.9 that God hath not appointed us a day of wrath but to obtain salvation our Lord Jesus Christ. So read your Bible and you'll see very clearly that the Bible teaches us a premillennial, pre-tribulation rapture of Bible-believing Christians. We will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and will not only enjoy that rich inheritance which we've already enjoyed, forgiveness, the power of sin broken, 
that we will be delivered from sin's presence. Delivered from sin's presence. How foolish, beloved, it would be to be willed benefits from a deceased loved one and fail to have those benefits executed. That would be foolish. In fact, that's unheard of. People are so greedy and covetous. That's why everybody turns up to the funeral. Grandma, grandpa passed away, they're all there. And some family members are scratching their heads and wondering, but who's that? Oh, that's a cousin. Oh. Who's that over there? Well, that's that's one of the kids. That's your uncle. Really? Really? Where have they been? Don't ask those questions. They're here today. You know why they're there? You know why they're there. My point is this. How foolish it would be for you and I to be willed a rich inheritance and not make application of that inheritance. And in Christ, according to verse 15, we have forgiveness, we have the promise of an eternal inheritance, which is deliverance from the penalty of sin, power of sin. At the the end of verse 28, the presence of sin. So God, as He addresses these Hebrew believers, He's trying to stress to them that in Christ and in His death, you have something superior. So stop looking over the fence. Stop envying those people still entrenched in Judaism offering their blood sacrifices. Because you and I as a Bible-believing Christian have something superior. We have forgiveness and we have an eternal inheritance. We've been delivered from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and praise God, one day we'll be delivered from the presence of sin. But until that day, may God help us to live holy and pure lives for God's glory. And all of God's people said...